Hey, good morning, everybody. This is Jamie Rutsky on the lighter side of baseball. And we're coming to you live from another beautiful outdoor broadcast at Big Portage Lake in Land of Lakes, Wisconsin, hot on the trails of the Wisconsin Woodchuck baseball game that I took in on Monday. I am all about Woodchuck baseball. That was spectacular. I recommend anybody that has an opportunity to visit a Northwoods League baseball game. I would do it, and that includes any place in Traverse City, Kalamazoo, Rockford, Kenosha, Kokomo, Battle Creek, etc., etc. I went to Wausau, Wisconsin, and I saw the Woodchucks, and I'm going to put up on my Instagram and maybe even on my Facebook my famous picture with Woody the Woodchuck. That was a great, great picture, and that was my first encounter at the ballpark. There was an hour-long rain delay, so I got to interact with the ground crew. That was fun, and during that period of time, I watched them squeegee about three inches of rain off the field. And unlike some of the higher-level baseball, like any level is above the Northwoods League except for high school baseball, uh, but there are some talented guys, and I'll get to that in a minute, but while I was watching the ground crew squeegee off three inches of rain, they had... uh, to come up with a ground rule double if the ball went into the left field corner because they couldn't get the water off the field. So I'm out there in left field. They wouldn't let me on the field. I tried. I even tried to get Woody to take me on the field, but Woody doesn't have the kind of clout that I figured he would have. So anyway, I'm down there hanging out, and who do I meet but the umpiring crew? And they're out there in cutoffs and and T-shirts, and I go, do you guys work for this team? They go, we're the umpires. And uh, lo and behold, an hour later, they emerged from the umpire dressing room, and they looked like umpires. And actually, the home plate umpire did a nice job during the game. So, who else did I meet out there? I met the manager of the Woodchucks, Ronnie Richardson. Now, Ronnie uh, was <laughs> dressed in cutoffs and a t-shirt. And I go, uh, do you work for the team? And he goes, I'm the manager, dude. And I said, well, do you mind if I interview you? And he goes, yeah, I've got a lot of busy things to do before the game. But we talked for quite a while, a little bit about his experience. He got drafted by the San Diego Padres, spent two years getting up to high A baseball, and fell victim to the same thing lots of guys feel victim to. And that is, if you're not a prospect, if they didn't pay you millions of dollars after the draft, uh, they're not going to give you much of an opportunity to get to the major leagues. So that happened to Ronnie. He outdid the prospect, but the prospect was paid a lot of money. And uh, so Ronnie's career was cut short. But he did a little coaching at Seminole State College and coached some Florida travel teams. And it's just an example of there's a lot of baseball out there that is not professional, but is at a good level. And the Northwoods League is one of those leagues that is in a pretty good uh, place viewed by professional scouts. And so the day after I was there, they had a dream day. And the dream day, every team in the league gets three players that get to go uh, work out with my with major league coaches and some uh, major league instructors. And so that helps them get seen. It's worth the summer in the North Woods, even though they don't get paid anything. It's a wooden bat league, and it's a pretty good high-caliber baseball. I was impressed. I mean, the pitchers were thrown about 90 to 92, and uh, the hitters were... I mean, these guys were not walking. I mean, a couple guys got hit. They weren't going to walk. They go up there, and they're hacking. And the umpire's calling a pretty liberal strike zone, which I loved. And so the game goes pretty fast. And uh, the only thing is that the uh, lights are not that bright. And if you're playing left, center, right, you uh, you can have a tough time tracking down balls. But, I mean, they were 
jamming balls off the fence. It was an offensive game, and uh, unfortunately, the Woodchucks went down in that game, 9-2, to two, but it was still fun. So I got to sample all the food in the ballpark. I got to keep score of a little Northwoods League game, and I'm going to go back to the, uh, I'm going back next year. For example, some of the uh, talent uh, that comes out of the Northwoods League uh, gets into the major leagues. And a perfect example of an alumni from Woodchuck Baseball was Paul DeJoung with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, who was also on the Major League All-Star team. So the Woodchucks were represented on the All-Star team. Then they've got a bunch of guys from from uh, Division One Baseball. And for example, uh, T.J. Reeves, who was from the University of Alabama, led off, and uh, his leadoff hit for the uh, Woodchucks was a home run. And uh, there were a couple home runs hit, a couple ground rule doubles in the water. But by and large, I mean, you had the cleanup hitter from the University of Florida, Santino Miozzi, uh, there. And so these guys come from pretty good Division I programs. You see Riverside is well represented. I mentioned the University of Alabama. Uh, they've got guys from UW Stevens Point guys from uh, local universities, but also uh, Palm Beach Atlantic, Florida International. They've got some good guys. So anyway, I'm out waiting for the game to start, and I met a fellow in the stands and talked to him for a while and learned that his son was just added to the roster as a pitcher, and so they're out there to watch him, and uh, it's pretty cool. So I'm a big believer in woodchuck uh, baseball, so that was cool. And next year... I'm going to go to at least one game and maybe more. But I, I'm telling you what, the food, it was, uh, <laughs> I got a little hungry. And so I went to the concession stand and ordered a $3 hot dog. And they told me that it was a 50 cent hot dog night. So I figured, well, God, what can they do to a hot dog to sell it for 50 cents? And by God, they cooked it. They had good buns. And I, I took the change from uh, my first purchase, a dollar hot dog. And they gave me 50 cents change. And so what did I do? I went back and got another hot dog, and it was pretty good. The, um, the field is kind of interesting. It looks like they built it in the 30s, but they've renovated the field. The, the condition of the, the actual field itself looked like, uh, you know, college field probably, maybe a little better. And then they had um, all sorts of uh, interesting little places for concessions. They had... Um, uh, down the left field line, uh, they had uh, uh, like a, a sky bar, and even though there had been a rain delay and the crowd was small, the uh, the little pavilion up the third baseline was packed with people drinking local Wisconsin beer, and what beer isn't local when you come to the state of Wisconsin, so they're all digging it. And then you've got um, the gift shop, and the uh, prices for some of the gifts, major league prices, unlike the uh, concessions. They have a hot dog cart, which I especially love, called Top Dog. And, uh, you know, that's great. They have chili, barbecue, pulled pork, mac and cheese, whatever you can think of to put on top of a cart, a, a hot dog. Then they got the Leinekugel beer cart, and they've got a Wisconsin craft beer cart. I mean, it's a good time. I recommend it. I would, I would think that anybody in the Wausau area 
or any of the other venues for the Northwoods League uh, would like it. So let me just explain. The Northwoods League is one of three leagues that I know about where college players get to use wooden bats, and one is Cape Cod, and Cape Cod is the premier league. And uh, Ronnie, the manager of the uh, Woodchucks, played in the Cape Cod League when he was in college. It's a premier league. And again, wood bat guys wanting to get drafted, and they do get drafted. In fact, the Woodchucks had a couple guys from the Bahamas that didn't qualify under the rules of Major League Baseball, so they could come back and play Northwoods League Baseball, even though they had been up to the uh, through a minor league organization. Then you got Alaska, the Alaskan League, and that's probably the second tier. And then the Northwoods League is uh, the third, and I mean, this is big-time stuff. They come out there and uh, and play a pretty good brand of baseball, and like I said, Paul DeYoung got in there, and I'm sure each team has an alumni that was there. So that was cool. I said I was going to go see how much wood it would chuck a chuck, and by God, those guys were chucking it. They were swinging, and it was fun. Good baseball, good, good cold beer, good hot hot dogs. They had French's mustard, which is a must. And I got to say, if you have a chance to drop in on any Northwoods League, it's fun. Now, right above that would be the uh, Independent League, like the Atlantic League that's going with you can run the first base. You can steal first base league, that league, the league that used uh, robotic umpires. Then you've got like the Kansas City T-Bones, that's Independent League. And by Independent, it's not connected with or affiliated with any type of Major League Baseball team. Then you've got you know, the draft, and the draft, the kids go to low A, high A their first year after college, after they get drafted. And so then they work their way up from A ball to high A ball, double A, triple A, and then the major leagues. So anyway, that's a rundown. It's the lowest rung on the ladder, but by God, it's pretty cool. These kids play for free. I think they get housing. I'm not sure if they get a housing stipend or, or what. But, you know, they play 72 games, 36 at home, 36 on the road. My guess is they drive on the road, but I don't know. And uh, next year I'm going to follow it a little more in depth and see if I can't do a few interviews. I'm going to play some of my uh, live feeds from Woodchuck Baseball on the second uh, segment of this podcast. But I just wanted to talk a little bit about Woodchuck Baseball this morning on this, the number 28 episode that I've done. I can't believe it. It's more than... Uh, I ever dreamed uh, I would do, and the listening audience continues to grow on Apple. With iTunes, you can get a subscription. Cost is free. What you pay for is what you get, and so you get a free broadcast that will either help you go to sleep or give you some information. And this morning, we got a little information on Woodchuck Baseball. Number 28, my favorite number 28, with the White Sox, Wilbur Wood, the little chunky lefty who threw a knuckleball, and he was... Really, really effective uh, as a starter and a reliever, but uh, he was with the Sox in the 60s, and I watched a lot of Wilperwood. He was good. Another uh, number 28, Spurt Blylevin in the Hall of Fame. Not a big Blylevin fan. It took him, I think, 55 years to finally get in the Hall of Fame. He's a broadcaster for the Twins. He really is overly verbose, in my opinion. But, hey, anybody in the Hall of Fame deserves a lot of credit, and by God, I'll, I'll give the old Dutchman some credit. Another number 28 uh, that is uh, involved in my favorite team, the Cubs, is uh, Kyle Hendricks, the uh, ace of the staff, the guy that 
can't lose to St. Louis. Hopefully I didn't just jinx him. I don't think I did. I doubt if Kyle is going to be listening to the show anyway. But anyway, speaking of the Cubs, even though on our last podcast we talked about how all the rosters were basically the way they were for the uh, uh, stretch run, the Cubs uh, managed to take advantage of the rules and signed Jonathan Lucroy. And by signing Lucroy, uh, they were able to get a third-string catcher who's probably going to be the second-string catcher and probably even get his fair share of starts. He's a left-handed hitter. He was with Milwaukee. He's been with four or five other teams. And he last was with the Angels and probably best known for getting run into um, a couple months ago. And the player that ran into him got suspended for four or five days. So... Lucroy really was, hasn't been the same since then, but I think if you can ever rejuvenate your career, it's done at the Wrigley Field venue because there uh, you got 40,000 people every day. You're in the stretch run, and the Cubs just have a hard time losing at home. In fact, on their homestand, they swept the Brewers in three and took two out of three from the hot Oakland A's. The only pitcher really to lose lately has been John, John Lester. Lester got drilled in St. Louis, 8 to nothing, and he gave up. I stopped counting. I think it was eight runs in the second inning of the Oakland A's game. The Cubs came back the next day, returned the favor, and beat the A's. Uh, I believe it was 10 to nothing, 10 to 1, something like that. It was a great day for Ian Happ. He's back. He's playing second base. It's a great position for him. They're loaded with outfielders. they got to figure out how to get Al Moore in. Uh, their new uh, acquisition, Nicholas Castellano, is just hotter than a pistol, hitting the ball. Even when he makes an out, he hits the ball hard. And then you've got Al Mora, who you need to get in the lineup. you got Hayward, who's having a great year. And then you got Schwarber, who's the little Babe Ruth man. He's the Bambino. He just flicks his wrist, and the ball goes into the uh, stands. He's hitting about 225, but the dude hits some really, really significant home runs and big pops. So... We're excited about that. We're excited about the stretch run. The Cubs take the uh, uh, their deal on the road where they've been pathetic. They're in Cincinnati for four games starting tonight. And uh, we'll be monitoring that. And then on the second segment, I think we're going to have Mike Glaux's brother, Greg, uh, join us for another live person co-hosting the show. And... Uh, then next week we'll have uh, another live guest that I've mentioned. So that's going to be cool. And then we're going to try to figure out what our strategy is for the playoffs. Because I said last time in 27 and this time in 28, I think the Cubs are going to be there when it comes time to do the playoffs. So that's it for now. So for segment one, we're done. For segment two, well, let's talk a little bit more. I, you know, it was premature to wrap up segment one. I want to talk a little bit about one of our listeners was interested in the run differential and what I thought about run differentials. So here's what I think about run differentials. I think that they, the extremes will bear out my theory, and that is that for the good teams and the bad teams, you probably can look at the run differentials a little bit. For example, the Dodgers are way out in front of their division. Nobody's going to catch them. And they are plus 182. The Cubs are plus 70, and their records are kind of reflective of that. The Cubs just won their 60th game. The Dodgers are heading towards 80 this early in the year. In the American League, the Yankees are at 141. The Twins are at 138, and the Astros are at 152. Now, those are all good teams, and their run differentials show it. 
You can pretty well predict, I could tell you, that the run differentials for the Royals, the Orioles, the Tigers are going to be some of the worst. And here they are, Baltimore, negative 148. Detroit, negative 213. Seattle, negative 113. So where it shows, and, and, and my listener that was curious about this pointed out that the Brewers have a negative run differential, but they're three games out of first place in the division. And the Reds have a plus run differential, and they're not going anywhere. And so I think for uh, my purposes of looking at the run differential, you can look at it, and the extremes will show you who's in first place and who's in second place. But the middle of the pack is just too close to call, too close to call. So can a team win the division with a negative run differential? I don't think so. I think the Brewers are going to have to start lighting it up a little bit to catch the Cubs. But you never know. The Cubs are on a road trip. And I'm telling you, in the next two weeks, you can pretty well tell if the Cubs are real or, or not real. And so that's going to be fun. Uh, you know, it's interesting. The uh, I've told you the two races are the central divisions of both leagues, and then you got the wild card races. And those, so you got four good races. That's not bad. You're going to have four races to watch. Now, a lot of teams are betting on the wild card because the Dodgers and the Braves are pretty far ahead of their opponents. So you've got these teams that are fairly fairly hot right now and of those hot teams who has a chance to make it the Giants I don't think so the Mets maybe the Mets are really really hot and they made a great deal at the deadline by not trading any of their good players and they got Marcus Stroman that's a good good day of not doing a lot of things sometimes the best trades are the ones you don't make and then all of a sudden the trade you did make gives you a really solid third or fourth starter behind man DeGrom and Syndergaard and Wheeler's playing pitching pretty well too so I mean you've got a pretty good pitching staff and if you get in the playoffs against the Mets you can kiss it goodbye because Syndergaard and DeGrom are going to kick your butt the Reds are pretty hot but uh, man the Cubs go to Cincinnati for four and that is going to be a good series starting tonight I'm going to watch as much of that as I can the Yankees are hot but they're running away with it the Red Sox are not the Red Sox you can put a fork in those guys I said that last week it's even worse now Price got shelled, um, sales getting hit. They suck. They're pathetic. And their president, Dave Dombrowski, basically said, huh, I'm paying you guys a lot of money. You're not acting like you're really worth what I'm paying you. The Rays are hot. I look for them to win the wild card. The Astros are running away with it. They're hot. And the A's were hot coming into Wrigley. But the Cubs cooled those guys off. Who's not? Boston, Kansas City. Miami, Detroit, Baltimore, same old broken record. Those owners ought to be thrown out of baseball. Seriously, Derek Jeter doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, the Red Sox have a big payroll, so they ain't going anywhere. The Tigers, the Orioles, Marlins, those teams are pathetic. Pathetic with a capital P. So, you have eight teams in the National League wildcard within five games. And in the American League, you have three teams within three games, Cleveland, Tampa Bay, Oakland. One of those teams is going to win the wildcard. And then the other eight teams in the National League, it's up for grabs. So it's going to be fun. And uh, you don't want to win the wildcard because then you've got to face a good pitcher and uh, whatever. So 
that is it. Let's look at the dogs. And my dogs are Harper and Machado. I said it long ago before they even got signed. You don't want either of these guys. Machado isn't helping. The Padres are going nowhere. They are fifth. They are way below 500. And the uh, the team is 52 and 80 before going into yesterday. And Machado's sitting 274. Now, 274 is pretty good for some player you've never heard of. 274 for a guy making 300 million dollars is not good. You got to be doing Mike Trout, Bellinger, Yelich numbers, and he's not. He's a dog, but not as big a dog. As the Phillies got. The Phillies have the dog of the year, and that is none other than Bryce Harper. He was a dog for the Nationals, and he barked right over to Philadelphia, and he is barking up a storm, hitting 249, and they're at 500. Now, I think last night they lost, and they went below 500. They suck. Bryce sucks. They're in trouble, and the Cubs play them next weekend. So, there you have it. That's it. That's the first 20 minutes of our show. It's fun. It's going to be a great second segment when we talk uh, with my optimistic stepson, Greg. He's going to tell you why he thinks the Cubs are going to the World Series. And when we come back, we'll have a little chat about that. Thanks for listening, as always. And uh, like I said, tune in to iTunes and get a subscription for free. And... Until we get to segment number two, this is Jamie Oreski on the lighter side of baseball, wishing you a great morning, and we'll be back in a few minutes with Greg Laux and his views on the Chicago Cubs. Thanks for listening, as always, and we'll be back. Again, everybody, Jamie Rutsky on the lighter side of baseball. We're back here at beautiful Big Portage Lake, and I've got my stepson Greg Laux here for another exciting episode. This is segment two. The uh, segment two has got to be more exciting than the woodchuck segment, but here we are, and a uh, beautiful day at the lake. And Greg, what do you think about uh, what we're doing this afternoon? I mean, you're busy cooking, right? It's a beautiful day. You know, I got a brisket going and a turkey going in the smoker. A couple more hours to go. Looking forward to a delicious dinner. Up here in the beautiful North Woods. I'll tell you what, baseball synonymous with good eating, and you don't get Greg's kind of brisket at the ballpark. You get some kind of bad hot dog made from another company that's not a sponsor, Vienna Beef. So we're here talking a little bit about baseball. Greg, uh, Greg's been a baseball fan for as long as I've known him, since 1994, and he wasn't very old. But uh, tell us a little bit about how you got interested in baseball. Uh, I think I got interested in baseball kind of out of force. That's what you do when you're a little kid. You, you start playing a little league um, and always liked it. Uh, unfortunately, I think I liked it better than my, my talents allowed me to continue playing in the sport. Uh, had a pretty decent fastball up until about 10 years old, and once I hit 12 or 13, realized I couldn't see the ball anymore, and that kind of ended my playing career. So. Well, we all retire sometime, buddy. <laughs> sometimes it's Little League, sometimes it's Pony League, but that gets us all. For, yeah, but fortunately, I uh, stayed on as a more of a casual fan and always been a big Cubs fan, as I'm sure many of your multitudes of listeners are on this podcast. I'll but. tell you, we're up to over thousands and thousands of excited listeners, and uh we put everybody on hold. All the call-ins are on hold while we talk to Greg. Greg is a financial 
He's the CFO of BP. That's what I think, <laughs> even though he may disagree with that. But. Uh, I think they may disagree with that as well, Jamie. But hey, we can all we can all hope and dream. Exactly right. So anyway, the uh, speaking of the Cubs, they swept the Brewers. They can't lose at home very easily, and they can't win on the road. But uh, God, you've been a Cub fan as long as I've known you, and we were talking a little bit yesterday. You went to the first night game with your dad, right? I did, uh, August 8th, 1988. And uh, at the time, I went to uh, one of the rooftop buildings, long before the rooftops were the rooftops. So my dad and a couple of his friends had, had bought an interest in one of the buildings um, right after they graduated college when they were dirt cheap and um, ended up started going up there for baseball games. And when I went up there, it had climbed through a hatch on the, on the roof, and it was just that old green outdoor carpet and some wooden bleachers and a guy with a grill. And, you know, little did they know what they had on their hands because 10 years later there's a superstructure up there, and now corporate events running out. But we went up there. Um, can't say I remember all that much about it. I think there was an inning or two of the game, and then the, the heavens opened up and, and rained profusely on us. But I was there. It was a, it was a cool event to say you were part of. Well, and today is August 8th, so this is the uh, 31st anniversary of the first night game at Wrigley Field, and God didn't think it was such a good idea, uh, and although, you know, this is a non-sectarian show, so my reference to God only applies on August 8th because, as Greg said, the skies opened up and uh, there was no baseball. Greg Maddox, who nobody had ever heard of, was out on the tarp. Like, uh, what do you call those, slip and slide? Yeah, sliding yeah. on the tarp. We can vaguely remember that through the, the, the blinding downpour. <laughs> so, by my calculations, you were uh, five? Uh, a little older than that. I think it was seven. Seven? Okay. Yeah, I think Kathy was five. I go by increments of your, your siblings of two years. So you were seven years old. When I saw my first and only no-hitter, I was seven years old. So I don't remember a lot, but I can still remember a little bit about it. Had you been inside Wrigley Field before that day? I think I had. Um, the only thing I really remember was uh, the seventh inning stretch and watching Harry sing and swing out of the, the baseball game and that, and then used to be able to smoke in Wrigley Field, and there was uh, we had some pretty good seats, but there were four guys behind us smoking cigars the whole game, so my eyes were uh, pretty bloodshot <laughs> as a little kid, so that's actually my first memory of Wrigley is Harry and some guys with some big stogies blinding yeah. some children in front of them. So. Well, and, and speaking of Harry and the first night game in August of uh, 1988, our good family friend Dave Nelson was a broadcaster with the Cubs for that game, and so, you know, Dave goes back as far as I can remember with my family, and uh, that includes certainly Greg, Mike, and Kathy, and their mother Kay, so uh, we talk a little bit about Nellie on the show. You've got, I know, a lot of memories and a lot of contacts with what comes to mind when you think about old Nelly Belly. So I think that the first experience I had with Nelly was that um, he had left my mom tickets for me and uh, and my brother and sister and my mom to go to a Sox game when he was coaching first base for the tribe and then he left them at will call and we had to go to the players and coaches will call to pick up the tickets and tell you what I was probably 12 years old and that was about the coolest thing ever asking to go to the, the players and coaches will call and the lady of course goes player or coach assuming that we were in the wrong spot and we got to say coach and got these tickets and got to go down before and you know meet him and shake his hand and you know, he's always such a friendly great wonderful person to be around and a um, bunch of memories and when he was with the crew um, I one of my first apartments that I lived in was uh, right across the street from Wrigley Field. It was 2003. It was kind of when the Cubs were 
we, we rented the place, they were still okay. Uh, they were still kind of a bit of the lovable losers. The most exciting thing that had happened to the Cubs since I'd been alive was the Sammy Sosa chase, home Great run team. chase, right? Yeah, um, But they, years. They hadn't been competitive for a long time, and we signed a lease there, and sure enough, they, the 2003 season was the magical year that ended with, uh, with Bartman. But I had a place that was one of the only apartments that was on Clark Street in between Waveland and Addison. It's now turned into a bar, as most things are over there. But I think it's the Rizzo Bar. It is It is the Rizzo Bar. and, and my That was, just for the record, that was a cool location. Uh, I think you had to move your car whenever there was a ball game. Oh, yeah, they used to sell out my, uh, my parking spot. My landlord charged 40 or 50 bucks because they were prime-time location. But when Dave was coaching first base with Brewers, he used to come over after the game when you were in town and come have a drink with us in, in my apartment, and that was pretty cool. And well, one of my favorite memories was one time he goes, i got to go back over to Wrigley and, and go get something out of the locker room. And you, Jamie, went with them, and I stuck my head out the window going, can I come? And my two friends came too. And I remember running out the door and just watching Dave. It was the only time I ever saw Dave do this, but he rolled his eyes like, oh, God, i got to bring these kids into the ballpark, and it was so natural for him, but I think once he saw how excited we were to go into the visitor's locker room and see, like, Richie Sexton's glove, he's like, he kind of got this this glint in his eye no. that Dave had, and he goes, hey, you guys want us to do something crazy? Let's, let's see, I'll show you how long it takes us to walk to the field. And he took us out in the dugout on the field, and it was one of the coolest experiences to, when you're 22, 23 years old to be a baseball fan and have no. go into the visiting locker room after I a still, game and get a tour. So I still remember that day, too. I mean... The, the funny thing about Nelly and, and the funny thing about baseball is no matter what your age, there's always some impression that the game makes. And it never got old with Dave. It never got old going in the locker room. It never got old. And on this particular occasion, I was as every bit, of, I guarantee I was every bit as excited as you were, you know, because as you're going to talk about, we saw a lot of features in the dugout and the clubhouse that we didn't really know existed. And I know you and your friends thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> they had, uh, the, the attendants were in there because it was probably an hour and a half after the game. And I remember they were kind of freaking out, like, who are these three 20-something-year-old kids that have had a couple beers that are perusing the locker room? And Dave's like, just, just let them be, guys. They're in awe. They won't touch anything. But it, to see it just see baseball in action after a game and watch them do the uniforms and everything was just such a neat experience. And then, too, just how dumpy that visitor's locker room really is. I mean, or was. It's, or was. It's finally getting redone. But uh, it was truly amazing to see what they made those guys play in crammed in there. The, so. uh, interrupting, Greg, the biggest feature in the, in the visiting dugout at uh, the Cub games was – the uh, fact that the liquor cabinet was bigger than the whole rest of the clubhouse, so that's how, that's how that was, um, and then the urinal in the bathroom, and the there's a, the dugout had a friggin' urinal there. Yeah, it was down the hallway. Keep guys from going to the clubhouse, which was pretty funny. Because you used to walk all the way through the tunnel, and then you'd actually go up over this covered bridge over the fans on the concourse, and you could peek through the tarp, and they could actually see you. It was always a neat experience. Absolutely. So we took a quick break after we were looking through the tarp at uh, Wrigley Field. And, uh, again, thinking back, that was that was fun. I think some of your buddies picked up some dirt off the field, oh, if yeah. I recall. And we definitely used that urinal, too, because, you, you know, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity yeah, to, I mean, to pee the, the same place as many of the uh, 
all-time greats to, to grace Wrigley Field have over the years. And things change because now, you know, they've got a new clubhouse, they've got new locker rooms, new dugouts basically for both teams. And so these guys, you'll see them on TV, they always take their at-bat and then they go down and, and the tunnel's not as long to get to the bathroom. So I, I, I would guess that the urinal's gone. <laughs> but, man, I don't think I would have bid on that authentic piece of Wrigley uh, memorabilia. I'm sure Ricketts sold it, though. I'm sure he found somebody <laughs> yeah. to pay for it. So, Greg had his apartment, and it was during the playoffs, and it was crazy, and his roommates did crazy things, grabbing these huge pennants off of light standards, and I mean, it was a wild time, and it was a year before we got our season tickets, and Greg and, and everybody in the family have taken great advantage of getting to see some games from our seats that have changed a few times, but uh, Josh, who would be... Greg's um, stepbrother, it's hard for me to keep the scorecard on all these relationships, but be that as it may, um, Josh is a big Cub fan, and he's really the reason we ended up getting the tickets, because he turned into this giant Cub fan after I was a big White Sox fan, and so Josh and I go visit Greg, and we change at Greg's place, and Greg and Josh and I go, and we decided we're going to sit in the bleachers. I'd never done that. For batting practice. For batting practice. We got out there for batting practice. And so, uh, you know, there we were. And it was looking rainy, but it didn't rain. They didn't cancel batting practice. And uh, Greg was out there trying to be an able-handed fielder. What happened, buddy? Well, you know, I I haven't had too many experiences with the the ball getting close to me ever, but um, the former Cubs first baseman, the the great Keesop Choi, who had so much promise out of South Korea, who never quite panned out. That's also a name in Rocky and Bullwinkle, (laughs) I think. But anyway, yeah. The great Hesop Choi was taking batting practice, and and we were out in left field, and he grooved one, just cracked the, the crack of the bat. I remember sitting there and looking at the ball being like that's coming right for us and I'm like oh I gotta try to catch this and Jamie and Josh their credit smartly dove out of the way and me being the inexperienced poor former baseball player that I was decided to stick my hand up and try to catch it and that wasn't the smartest decision I've ever had and I stuck my hand up and it hit me right smack in the palm of the hand and just kept going and made this sickening smack sound and, of course, the ball goes flying away, and it's one of those old chubby ball hawk guys ran away with it. And the usher came over was checking my hand to see if it was broken. <laughs> the guy goes, what were you doing trying to catch that? And I go, I don't know. I've never tried to do that. It was but. a rocket. I mean, it was a line drive, and baseballs do weird stuff. <laughs> if you're behind home plate and a ball gets hit up in the air, a pop-up, it actually, the spin on the ball will cause the ball to curve back toward the catcher, back toward the field of play. Where Greg and, and Josh and I were sitting, uh, and you know, I'm sure it happens every day to the left fielder, center fielder, right fielder. The balls come off the bat in strange ways. This one was like a, a draw in golf. I mean, it had a hook on it, and it was shot out like out of a barrel of a gun. I mean, it was it was hit hard. So, in Greg's defense, he made an error, got hurt, but still, <laughs> uh, still Nelly, you know, Nelly would get a big laugh out of all that stuff. He always liked to. Uh, you know, uh, lament uh, our, our our problems. Not really. He took great delight in anything that uh, that I screwed up in baseball. But I I he, I got back at him for criticizing him. Of course, he was on the All Star team in '73. So what can I say? But that year was great. That was fun. And then 
from 2004 until now, we have season tickets, and uh, not only that, but I think Dave uh, might have helped us get some tickets for an all-star game at, at Comiskey Park. We did. Uh, my brother and a couple of his friends and I got Richie Sexton seats um, when he was playing for the Brewers. Richie made the all-star team and didn't have any friends or family that really wanted to go see another all-star game, especially one at, uh, I guess, as you call it, Guaranteed Raid Field now. Um, so we went down there and, and went to the game, and we were sitting amongst all the the uh, friends and family section, and um, I had to keep reminding my brother Mike that we were sitting around all the parents' friends, and he should stop heckling some of these guys because the guy's dad yeah. was sitting in front of us. But, um, you know, what? it was a great experience to, to go do that and really fun to sit amongst people that – were watching their kids play what, in their first what do you remember game. was that the same year was that 2003 uh no it was after that okay because i know the 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 first all-star game i saw was at comiskey park in 1983 when uh, fred lynn hit the only home grand slam in in, in all-star history and then greg and mike and and as greg said friends went to the uh, all-star game and you know nelly was always very, very generous getting seats, whether they were Richie Sexton's or somebody else's. Um, you've all heard my story about the 1987 All-Star game where I made Andrew eat food that he really didn't want and what happened after that. So there were none of those experiences. We all had a good time. But on top of that, for the last 15 years, Greg, we've had a chance to, you know, view the Cubs, and Greg and I share a lot of the same philosophy about the Cubs. We're we not do. the most optimistic guys in the world. We're not, and you know what? That That's good, because there's a, there's a lot of optimism in our family. My, my brother Mike, who I know was one of your guests a few weeks ago, can tell you all the ways uh, how great the Cubs are going to be every year. And the Bears. And the Bears, and how the Bears are going to win the Super Bowl every year, and we just get to sit and watch them get us heartbroken. But you and I are realists, and we take things for what they are, and we keep our expectations low, because there's only upside after that. So, um... Yeah, I think uh, there's a couple things that you and I have agreed on already. One, I think, is the fate of Joe Madden. Both of you and I believe that this is probably his last season in Chicago. It'll be a nice grace Boy, likes it for him. but Do I hope we're wrong on that one? True. Um, but I think this this is he and Theo aren't getting along, and it's kind of surprising he doesn't have a contract extension. He is the oldest manager in baseball. Maybe he's it's hard to believe, new. too, that he's the oldest manager, but it's easy to believe that Theo pissed him off after what he pulled last year, and it had to... Had to piss Joe off because Theo got everybody uh, behind Joe's back in exit interviews for the season, and and uh, I don't think that made Joe that happy. And he's playing without a contract. Nobody, I mean, the crummiest managers in the world play with a contract. And as I said, give him a five-year contract. If you fire him after a year, you think that's going to hurt Ricketts after Theo's dropped five hundred million on pitchers that can't pitch? Yeah. Sorry, that was a little pessimistic. <laughs> Fired Jim Hickey, fired his buddy that he brought in. Um, yeah, brought in the Hick had a few other deals. But yeah. Chili Davis was an example of a great hitting coach, and he's now you know, doing great things for the team he's with. But, uh, man, again, if you can name the hitting – every guest on the show, nobody can name the Cubs hitting coach, even if you went and Googled it after I said that yesterday. But couldn't do from it. the look on your face, you didn't do it. You told me. I still didn't Google it. I still can't remember who it is. I but. can't remember it either, and I've looked at it 25 times. So we've seen playoff games in our seats, and we've seen uh, the 2016 World Series, man. How about that? That was amazing. That was a really fun time. So all going all those playoff games uh, in the year before too. I think uh, the first year they that was at 2015 they made the playoffs yeah. and kind of went on that special run and and 
watching Miggy Montero hit that. I believe that's the year the Kansas City Royals won the World Series. Yeah, and yeah. then uh, I mean they beat the. That's right. Back to back season ticket holder World Series. How often does that happen? And uh, remember we, we saw him beat the. In the, the, the NLDS, they beat the Cardinals, which was a great series. And oh, that remember, was a fun night. Uh, one of the fun things we did is used to belong to the, the Audi Club, which is now defunct and been removed for higher-priced uh, concessions. Yeah. Um, but we went and sat up there after the game just had a chance, and it was so crazy and wriggly that they brought the Cardinals out through the, the Audi Club right by us. Yeah, people were, like, threatening the Cardinals. I can't believe it. As much as I can't stand the Cardinals, I wouldn't throw anything at Wainwright. The guy's six seven, But, yeah, we're up there. Having a post-game snack, having a cool liquid uh, adult beverage, and all of a sudden Greg sees these guys start walking through the club, through the club, and it was cool because number one, it's fun to be that close to major leaguers, and number two, they were they were they were downtrodden. Yeah, with their families, Molina. I remember Molina going by. Like, yeah, could have reached out and touched them and. All right. the street clothes, and they were boarding the bus because it was so crazy. They needed to sneak them out through a back door out of Wrigley after they got beat. But that was fun. That was really the precursor of the 2016 series. I forgot series. that. That's a great story. That was uh, that was fun because no true Cub fan likes the Cardinals. Nobody wants them to get hurt, injured, or even harassed. But this doesn't start with the Cub fans of 2016. My classmates, when the Cubs traded Lou Brock to the Cardinals for Ernie Brolio when the Cardinals would come to town. My goofy classmates would go out into the left field bleachers where, you know, the, the bleachers were crowded back then. You could get a box seat for three fifty, but the bleachers, you had to get there early. My guys would sleep overnight at Wrigley and get in the first row and, and heat up pennies and throw them at Brock. Now, that's pretty <laughs> bad. <laughs> but that's the Cardinals. So we fast forward to 2016. When the curse was broken, we saw, you know, typically we've gone to every opening day together. We've gone to a lot of playoff games together. We've had great times. Nelly provided great times for us in different venues. But the trip to Cleveland for game six, man. That was a good, that was a great one. That was great. That was kind of impulsive. Got a text message. You guys want to go to Cleveland tomorrow? If you can get off work, I'll get you tickets. And. Sure enough, 5 a.m. the next day, we were in a car driving to Cleveland. What a great trip, and what great seats we had. Oh, my goodness. They were better than I even thought they were going to be. And yeah, that was a, it was a little scary because the Cubs were down 3-2, to two and we could have very likely had a long, sad drive home, but you know, Addison Russell had a home run, and that came up big. Unfortunately, I was in the bathroom for that. It was poorly timed on my <laughs> behalf, but um, it was a really fun game to well, go to. That wasn't the first time that's <laughs> happened. Yeah, it's always tough time to time it. I figured I had a couple minutes while they were doing a pitching change, but all contraire. It was, uh, in addition to the home run hit while Greg was in the uh, gentleman's room, they they seemed, as I recall, to uh, score a lot of runs, and it was a relaxing game, as I remember. Until, and then Madden brought in Chapman in, like, the eighth inning. Still never, we were like, there's no way he's bringing him in, and... Uh, the, one the, of Joe's the, bad moves. One of the, the bullpen usage was the one kind of scary thing that happened throughout that World Series, but uh, it was such a great game. And and then we, as you stayed true to your word, you said we're not staying for Game Seven no matter what, which is probably smart from a financial perspective. <laughs> I still take grief from a good friend who who had told me that he wasn't going to even watch Game Seven. He was going to go to his granddaughter's recital. And I said, well, you know, suit yourself. And so we go to game six, and we're driving back to uh, Chicago, keeping my word. We 
not going to abandon you guys and stay for Game 7, which I was very tempted to do. Uh, I get the call from my good buddy, hey man, we're going to come to Game 7. I go, you know, are you kidding me? And uh, they went to Game 7, and I still hear that. I still hear that. Well, wisely for me, it was my wife's birthday, so coming home was, was smart. So the Cubs were in the World Series on her birthday. You know what, didn't bother me a bit. I've seen either. about eight great. Game 7s. They generally worked out badly. My team would generally lose. So I figured, hey, history is history. I'm going to go home and watch it on TV. And and uh, Chicago was hopping. Luckily it rained, so there weren't any riots. But uh, rain in Chicago. Rain in Cleveland. Yeah. Big rain delay. What a great team. That great. was fun. My son was four months old, and I woke him up to, to, to get his picture taken in front of the TV. Wasn't a happy guy, but, you know, he may never see that again in his lifetime. You never know what the I don't know. I'm, I, you know what? Greg and I are pretty much optimistic. We moan and groan about the same time. We can't believe they can't win on the road. Blah, blah, blah. But I'm, I'm sort of optimistic now if they've got... Let's see, four in Philly, three in, I mean, four in Cincy, three in Philly, three in Pittsburgh. If they win five out of these road trip, they're going to go all the way to the playoffs, and then who knows what. See what happens. Yeah. You know, this made me think of another great Nelly story that I've got, I guess you've never told in this podcast. Uh, years ago, it was one of the first time the Brewers made the playoffs, and he was, he was announcing by then, uh, he got us tickets to go to, I think it was the Brewers, I think we were playing the Phillies, maybe. Uh, it was the year they got Sabathia, and he was pitching oh, yeah. for him on a rental. And Nelly got us great seats. He got four seats. It was you and me and Tommy and Bruce bent yeah, over. Yeah, the guy that went to Game 7. And and we <laughs> we packed up the car, and Bruce picked us up in his Acura, and we drove up there for the game and had about one of the saddest tailgates of all time. Bruce pulled out a small Coleman cooler that had cold cheddar cheese, some crackers, and Miller Lite in it, and we were sitting on the back yeah, I think of Tommy a, had that little goofy table that yeah, he brought with him, and, which you was know, we're bizarre. Up, we're outside of Miller Park, and guys are cooking brats and all sorts of these, doing these amazing tailgates and playing games, and here's these four schmoes sitting on the bumper of an Acura. And David called you and said, you know, where are you guys? And we told him he comes walking out, and comes up and joins us at this, this sad tailgate. And that's kind of the first time I realized how popular Dave was in Wisconsin because people were, like, you know, yelling, Davey, 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 and coming over to see him. And I remember looking over at the people next to us be like, what is Davey Nelson doing with these four jokers <laughs> at this sad tailgate? And I was people were coming up to take his, have his picture taken, which, of course, he obliged. So I was helping him work different people's cameras. And then we walked all the way into the stadium with them. And he took us up to one of the back entrances. And he was the mayor. It, it was amazing, though, how much he meant to all those people up there. And the bond he kind of drawn out from all those Milwaukee fans. And how nice he was to walk out in that parking lot and see us four schmucks yeah, out there sadly and, you tailgating. Know, that was a great story. That reminds me of an even funnier story, though. And that was the day you got married. So Greg and Rachel get married. And, um, you know, we're all celebrating. They had like a four or five hour interlude in between the marital ceremony and the reception and we managed to take 70 of our closest friends to some bar in Chicago for five hours. Well, after the wedding, Mike Seguin, who's going to be on the show next week, and me and, and uh, Mike, Greg's brother, and maybe one other person, I don't even remember who it was that went, but we did the same thing. The, the Brewers were in the playoffs. We get in the car at 9 in the morning for a 12.30 start, and we are all hungover a little bit. And 
we get about halfway and I'm listening to the radio and they're talking about the start time is 7 o'clock for the Brewers game. Now it's noon. Four people sort of hung over from Greg's wedding. Greg didn't come with us. Can you believe that? He stayed. He chose to go on his honeymoon. What a chump. And uh, so I called Dave, who's at the ballpark, and I go, Nellie, uh, I thought the game's at noon. And he goes, what do you mean? I think it is. Or one thirty. And I go, uh, are you at the ballpark? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, look out the ballpark. You see a car? Looks, gets back to me and goes, no, there's nobody in the parking lot. <laughs> I go, well, you could, aren't you in the press? Couldn't you have told me what time the start time was? So, true to Dave, we told him we were going to the fourth base for some some more liquid beverage. And uh, he shows up and we started taking souvenirs out of the fourth base. We must have taken six or eight glasses with Dave's help. And then the owner came over and said, you guys like want a case of glasses? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I'm Brewer baseball. I, you know, if the Cubs can't win, I still I love the Brewers. Um, as Greg knows, in Nelly's last few uh, few days on this planet, uh, guys like Ryan Braun were coming over and Ed Cedar, and there on Saturday, uh, Craig Council and Euchre show up, and there were four or five of the bullpen guys that I know Hader was there, and I can't remember some of the other guys, but. Uh, these guys were all true to Nelly, and as uh, our family knows, any friend of Dave's was a friend of ours. So, um, yeah, I forgot about that Brewer thing. <laughs> that, that was, he was like the mayor. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was, he was really well received in in uh, in that in that town. So, yeah, we have uh, we now have the Cubs. What do you think of the Cubs right now? I mean, I'm upbeat. What do you think? You know, I'm, I'm up and down on them. I, I don't get to watch as much of the games as I used to. I get to basically see the 7th through ninth inning uh, after I put my kids Cup to bed. fans think they're going all the way when we win. We think they're firing Madden and they're done for when they lose. Exactly. They're just a very streaky team. I think the one concern I have is they don't have a lot of veteran consistency. If you look at that 2016 team, as you and I have talked about many times, they had Dexter Fowler and David Ross and kind of those guys lackey. were lackey, that kind of veteran presence that kind of calmed the nerves right. and show up for a big game when they needed to. I mean, it's like getting the players' face as opposed to Rizzo hugging everybody. Yeah, so yeah. I think, you know, there's so much young talent on this team, but they just seem so streaky that they can't ever uh, really – they're either putting together a run or they can't hit a baseball to save their lives or next thing you know, uh, Lester can't throw a ball over the plate. And, you know, he don't think really – fills that gap so it's been interesting that uh, that Theo's never really gone out and got somebody else when he like when he let, let Fowler go we let David Ross go or let him retire I should say um but I, I think that's kind of the one thing that that plagues the Cubs a bit that they just can't quite get that chemistry back that they used yeah, to have in I think 16. you know even though Zobrist doesn't have that kind of public persona I think Zobrist uh you know had the Two World Series, the, he was the MVP of the 2015 World Series for the Royals. Um, I don't know if he was a in-your-face guy. He doesn't really come across that way. But I have a feeling that since Zobrist was, has, was gone, they didn't have any of that old guy that uh, spoke. And I don't, this isn't trying to be anything against the Latin American guys on the team, but in a lot of baseball culture the Latino guys kind of have their own leaders and the other guys have their own leaders and uh, I, I agree with Greg I'm not sure who's who's a leader and who's not a leader but 
be that as it may, I think that, uh, you know, Lester's just the worst pitcher on the team right now, but Quintana and Hamels. Hamels goes today against Philadelphia. We'll see how that goes, and then uh, we'll see. they got about 48 more games to go, and uh, they're two and a half games in front of the – no, they're three games up on uh, the Brewers. So they have a three-game lead. They're going into the second week of August, and who knows. Now, let's get to a subject that's near and dear to my heart, and that's food. Greg's cooking a brisket and a turkey, but be that as it may, is there any food at Wrigley that you like? No. Isn't that no. bad? <laughs> I mean, I went to the Woodchuck game. Their food, their 50-cent hot dog was better than anything at Wrigley. Yeah, it's, it's overpriced and generally not very not cooked very well. So, if anything, I just try to get a basic hot dog. I try to go find one of the good stands, but since they redid it all that year, this year I haven't found that either. I tried that giant pretzel a few times. I can take a pass on it's that. It's gross. It's gross. Um, that's about it, though. I generally yeah. try to hit up like the dark horse before with you and, and eat ahead of time. It's it's always better, cheaper, and you're always happier with what you get. And then save deuces and diamonds, that. the dark horse. You know, if, if you can get a place within two blocks, but not across the street from Wrigley, you'll get some better food. And then you go in and have the luxury of buying ten dollar Bud Light. So we buy a round of beer for. Uh, for the four of us, and you could get what two cases of Bud down the street for that. It's uh, we always laugh every year on opening day how much this beer gone up because it was uh, 2003 back when we started telling stories about that. It was five and a quarter. Yeah. So. And now it's uh, at least ten. ten I think it's ten. ten. For something for a, and a Bud Light for the playoffs, time. this is even more outrageous. It'll be eleven, or maybe even, I mean they rate they jacked the price for playoffs. So. Well, the interesting know. thing is the playoffs. Prices always foreshadow the, the they new do. price You're for right. opening day the next year. So you yeah. always know what your beer is going to cost you next year if they make the playoffs. Cleveland. We ate at a great spot. The Cleveland fans, we had Cub Gear on. They were nice to us. I can't even remember where we ate, but the food outside the ballpark was good. I don't eat during the playoffs. It's hard for me to eat because, you know, I'm nervous. I don't know why. I think I'm more nervous than Rizzo. You stand in the aisle the whole time. You're always easy to find because you're always wearing a big blue sweatshirt and you stand in the aisle the entire time. Yeah, it's, it's trying to keep your, score. It's kind of your spot. And... I try to keep score. I, you know, I, I'm just, uh, I think we live and die more than the Cub players do. I think they, they play 162 games and they're pretty, they're pretty, uh, okay with it all, but, uh, so we've talked about food, we've talked about Nelly, we've talked about the All-Star Game, we've talked about Cleveland, we haven't talked about your Little League career. We can end on your Little League career. I don't career. think there's much to talk about, Jamie. I think <laughs> That's why we're going to wrap it up on that. <laughs> on that count, Greg, it's fun. We'll do this again. You're a natural. Uh, your brother was good. You're good. I don't want to say who was better. I'll leave that to our thousands and thousands of listening audience members. I'll check the ratings on uh, the iTunes podcast. This could put us over the top. You and Bob Uecker, you never know. <laughs> so anyway, Jamie Resky on the letter side. This is a wrap-up of episode 28. I can't believe we've done 28 of these. But uh, we'll be back for 29. Rod Carew is number 29. I'll dig out a few White Sox number 29s and a Cub 29. But for Kyle Hendricks, 28. For Burt Blylevin, who shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, 28. And for uh, uh, anybody else that's 28, we'll be back. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it.